0: All right, I'm back and joining me on the pod, and I'm extremely, extremely, extremely excited about this. I've been trying to get this guy on for a while. We've had some logistical hiccups, but tonight is the night. I get them. Uh, This guy I've been following around on Twitter, for, I would say about a year now, and he's a great read. He's a great write. Uh, covers the Flyers and the Phantoms for Flyers, nitty-gritty.com. Gr- nitty, uh, Jamie Bascal joins me. Jamie, welcome to the pod. Thank you for coming on. How are you doing tonight, man? Hey, I'm doing very good. Um, pretty stoked to be on your podcast uh, for your, uh, you know, dedicated followers here. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, the logistical issues that uh, Matt was speaking of this is
1: me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's just become unpredictable with kids in terms of podcasts. Now, I could tweet with the best of them. I could write articles with the best of them. But there's, uh, you know, times in terms
2: of, you know, you need. Alone time to do podcasts, and unfortunately, with having such a great wife and you know, you know, two beautiful kids, uh, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But uh, yeah, I'm here for you know all the Flyers fans, Phantom fans, Royals
0: fans, uh, Dollar Thunder fans, and so, so are all of us at FlyersNittyGritty.com. So we appreciate you uh, having us on. Now, for those of you who want to follow Jamie, go ahead and follow him on Twitter at Jamie Basgal. Again, you will you will not be uh, disappointed if you're a flyer guy or gal or even a hockey person. Uh, this this young man definitely lends a unique insight to the world of hockey, especially the world of the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Jamie, I'm not gonna pull any punches with you, man. We're gonna jump right into this. It's about the Flyers. Uh, it's about how I personally feel, and this was something I went back to last year. On I do, I still do believe the Flyers are on a three-year plan, with this being year number two of a Stanley Cup actual championship. I still I still believe that, even after everything that has transpired over the last, I don't know, six months or so. But I, I am interested in knowing, uh, kind of throwing a theory at you and seeing what you think about it. Uh, March 10, 2020, the Flyers stepped off the ice, two nothing losers against the Boston Bruins. Uh, ending, a believe it was a 10-game winning streak at the time, and they were – they were absolutely red hot. Do you remember that, Jamie? you remember how good? Know,
2: yeah, yeah. So the uh, Flyers were shut out that night. Yes. And uh, I think they were shut out. I think it was uh, two or three to nothing.
0: It was two to nothing. And then the next game they were playing, I believe it was the 12th, down in Tampa. Of course, we all know the world stopped spinning at that point, And the NHL went into their lockdown or shutdown, whatever they call it. And we were left yeah. kind of like, and I know I was left like, oh, really? This could have been, not, not that I thought they were going to win the cup. But I was really interested to see how the season would have wrapped up for the Flyers. So, four and yeah, a half more. I mean, uh, Good. Yeah, I, I mean, it was unfortunate that the uh, season came to an end, uh, you know. But uh, thankfully, it did for health reasons. I just want to throw it out there. Uh, the health and safety
2: of the players, uh, the fans, um, you know, staff and everyone involved was uh, far more important than the uh, sport itself at that particular time, especially with an unknown in terms of a virus that was, uh, man, catching like wildfire, yeah. and, you know, unfortunately uh, a lot of people lost their lives to this, uh, you know, unfortunate virus. I just want to throw it out there that uh, oh, absolutely. that was the right thing to do. Absolutely. And, and
0: if we could go back in the time, I would want them to do the same thing. Yeah, no, and to the NHL's credit, I I believe they were the first of the four major sports to map out a return, and it was pretty detailed. Uh, I remember watching, I mean, at that time, I was jonesing for anything sports-related, and I remember watching Gary Bettman's, uh, you know, I think it was like an hour-long news conference that he kind of laid out the plan, and obviously the way things worked out Uh, In the long run, we did get hockey back late summer, uh, and it it ended up well. Uh, We we got a Sailing Cup champion, but as far as the Flyers went, Jamie, when they went into the bubble in Toronto, and they had a face-off against the top three seeds in the the, uh, Metro or East at the time, Tampa, Boston, and Washington for seeding purposes, right? I mean, they were in the playoffs. They were going and whatnot, but they had had to battle these three teams in order to kind of figure out who was one through four. Flyers looked just as hot as they did going going into that than they did coming out going into the shutdown but i maintain this Jamie i believe that those 3 games the flyers played i believe those 3 opponents were not necessarily playing like it was the playoffs i think those 3 opponents were playing more like it was the preseason in order to kind of bang some rust off and i think we might have been a little uh, bamboozled about the product the flyers were heading into the actual playoffs
2: yeah, I would have to agree with that assessment. Uh, definitely, uh, it wasn't as physical. Uh, it, there was a, just a shadow of physicality. And you know, it's playoff, you know what playoff hockey is. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more intense than the regular season, um, than the preseason, of course. Uh, it's just balls to the wall every single shift. You am not saying you don't give your all in a regular season. It's just a little more intense, a little more dialed in. The fans are in. Your juices are flowing flowing throughout the whole game and uh, it's a lot more physical than it is in the uh, regular season and, and that was one reason why I wanted the Flyers to get a little more physical last off-season in terms of beefing uh, you know, grabbing say a Matt Martin you know, or a Kyle Clifford of some sort uh, you know, to give some added muscle uh, now of course, you know one player, you know wouldn't, you know, change the, uh, wouldn't change the whole complexion of the team, but it could get the team to buy into that type of physicality to which, as say, if Matt Martin made a big hit, drew a drew a nice penalty, it starts to energize the bench and gives them life. Uh that that was something I think that most Flyers fans honestly saw, you know, last season was how the Flyers were, you know, had trouble forward-checking. They had trouble, you know, in terms of like in terms of the forechecking, cycling
1: the puck. Uh, it was just the whole nine yards. They just weren't as, you know, physical as say, you know, even Montreal or, you know, uh, you know, uh, obviously the New York Islanders. Right. The check was relentless from the New York Islanders. Right. The Flyers didn't know how to stop the forward-check. And those particular issues actually filtered into this season, and that was another area that I was concerned about last year. Before Even before the pause, I was worried about Michelle Terrian, uh, because the power play was very inconsistent. And what you need in the playoffs to succeed, and you could get away with this sort of a lacking, not, not an
2: entirely lacking penalty kill, but you need it either or to succeed. Your penalty kill needs to be strong where your power play needs to be strong. And the Flyers had trouble with their power play. It was horrendous. And there were times that where I wanted the Flyers to negate, you know, the penalty taking the power play and just play 5-on-5 five five, because they played far much better 5-on-5 five five than they did with the main advantage. Hard to believe, right? <laughs> but, you know, my problem that I have is, is that at times, at times, Michelle Terrium becomes a little stubborn at times uh, to where – he, he gets dialed into this player personnel, and he goes two, three, even four games with the same
1: unit, the same way. It doesn't shake it up, uh, and that's what we saw
2: last year, and it filtered into this season. What happened? The Flyers shit the bed this year, and I think that's where you're getting at, man.
0: Well, so let's not sugarcoat it. <laughs> no, I, I know you're not. But what I, what my concern is, is all the things that you had mentioned. Uh, I believe the Canadians exposed the Flyers for a few things. I think the Flyers kind of outlasted the Canadians based on the depth of the team. The Flyers were just a little bit more deeper and a little bit more talented. But then you saw that depth or that 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 lack of or that depth not withstand the Islanders. Uh, yeah, and for the Flyers' credit, man, they fought their asses off in that series against the Islanders. They really did. Uh, and and you know, but the lack of scoring from Travis Konecny. Uh, the lack of scoring from anybody up front, any of the forwards in the playoffs last year, was an alarming thing for me. And heading into the off season, um, I was very confident, and just like everybody else was, the return of Oscar Lindbom. Um, I wasn't so much confident on the return of Nolan Patrick because I was never a big Nolan Patrick guy to begin to begin with, and yeah. I, we'll get to him in a second. But I was I was excited, you know, I was excited because yeah. this team was was definitely on the verge, and I really thought maybe another. Score at the time, maybe another physical guy, a score was all we really would have needed. And then all of a sudden, Matt Niskanen drops the bomb of retirement. Um, yeah. and let's kind of talk with that first. Was that something Chuck Fletcher was called off guard with? You think, no,
2: so actually, Chuck Fletcher wasn't caught off guard with that. Actually, Chuck Fletcher was notified by Matt Niskanen, uh, the day, the night of the uh, when, when the playoffs ended last season against the uh, New York Islanders. On his way home, he called Chuck Fletcher uh, after the uh, team departed because, uh, according to the Flyers, the majority of the personnel left from that game went home. So whether they had flights or, you know, whatever, or whatever the Flyers found them, you know, ways home, they went home, the majority of the team. And uh, Matt Niskanen called Chuck Fletcher that night and let him know that he was thinking about retirement because, you um, he didn't want to deal with an abnormal season. You know, that next season was whatever next season was, to even think if they were even going to play, because at times we didn't know if the season was going to begin this year, right? The virus dictated, you know, how the season was going to go or, you know, how if they were going to play at all. So uh, Matt Niskanen didn't want that, you know, uncertainty and, uh, you know, that – was one of his ways of saying, hey, you know, maybe it's time to call quits. He saw another year of being away from his family, uh, his friends, and uh, he just couldn't do it. And I don't blame him. It is hard to be away for an extended period of time from here, while going. it's easy for us to sit here and ridicule people saying, well, they make millions of dollars. They do this. At the end of the day, they're human beings, mm-hmm. uh, just like you and I. They put their pan blanks on one leg at a time. Just like we do. So, like, just because they might be making astronomical amounts of money to us, uh, doesn't mean that they still don't have feelings. So, at the end of the day, he made, you know, uh, what he thought was the best decision for him and his family. Yeah, uh, his family was first and foremost, he quit. And he said, maybe it's, you know, time to call it quits. So, no, Chuck Fletcher wasn't caught off guard. Unfortunately, what happened was it was the flat cap. So with an expansion year looming, so I'm not making excuses for Chuck Fletcher, but in the flat cap world, it became a little harder to navigate monies. The Flyers were against the cap, just like most teams were. Most teams even this past all season, were against the cap. They tried to rework it in some way. You saw Pittsburgh move, you know, some money around. You know, Florida move some money around. Uh, actually, I I don't think Matheson was supposed to play with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I actually think that. You know, uh, Mike Matheson wasn't. They did not have him on his radar to play for them. I think that there is a trade that was still left out there to be had with uh, I think Chris Letang uh, or something of that nature. I don't think it, it possibly could have included Mike Matheson. I think there was a bigger deal for Pittsburgh. I think they just got lucky this season with Matheson because that deal didn't make sense. And usually when a hockey deal doesn't make sense. There's usually something else going on It's used for a part in a, in a in a trade either down the line. So I don't think Matheson was supposed to be a payment. That's just my uh, personal opinion, but I don't think he was. But, again, the flat cap world, you
1: know, may have derailed, you know, the next move, you know, for, for Jim Rutherford
2: at that time. Just like Chuck Fletcher, there is no doubt in my mind, no doubt in my mind he was on the phone. A lot with teams asking about this person asking about that person but at that time maybe teams didn't want to trade you know a right-handed defenseman you know for for to the uh you know to the flyers and maybe that's all they were looking for was a right-handed defenseman and not a left-handed defenseman and then they had to settle for eric gustafson i do believe some pleasure that he did uh notify some free agents
1: and he asked them exactly what they wanted and gustafson obviously was one you know that Chuck Fletcher admitted saying that he did contact
2: and he knew exactly what he wanted, so he gave that amount of money. With the flat cap world and the expansion draft looming, I didn't, I, 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 I did not see the Flyers making drastic moves
0: last offseason. season. I just thought they would make some small moves, right. tinker, you know, tinker, you know, get a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a physical
2: player, like sort of like a Matt Martin or Kyle Clifford. You know, in here to enhance and give life to the bench, and maybe a power play slash penalty kill specialist. I actually thought the Flyers would have been interested in Michael Gradner, um, you know, or something along that lines. You know, that's uh, you know, maybe to pot a, a goal here or two. Uh, maybe not the most finesse player. I didn't think they'd be in on Anthony Duclair because of money. Uh, I didn't think they'd be in on Mike Hoffman due to money. Uh, I actually. Uh, I'm not surprised that uh, they weren't all in on Patrick Laine. I think that they were at one time, you know. But then when they found – Chuck Fletcher told Matt Niskanen on that last day of the season, think about it, and then come back to me. And about three to four weeks later, he did. Within that time, I do believe that Chuck Fletcher contacted Columbus, uh, uh, Winnipeg, to see what they wanted for Patrick Laine. I do believe that. I do believe all these you know, reports in terms of that. There was never a doubt in my mind. That's what a good general manager does. They contact me to try to make their team better. But I think the uh, with when Matt Nissen pulled the plug and said, hey, I'm uh, I'm officially
1: retiring. I am going to. I think all bets were off at that point. And the Flyers were like,
2: okay, we'll just stand pat because we don't know what's going to happen with the ex- upcoming expansion draft. Right. now. I think they wanted to save some cap dollars, to which they did, uh, you know, and I think that they were going to give to the trade deadline, and if you want to talk about that later down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no. Brett uh, Flair went to scout Arizona uh, three to four weeks before the trade deadline uh, began, and he was out there for about a week. The Fires aren't going to send your assistant general manager out there for nothing. Uh, There was definitely something going on in terms of the Flyers in Arizona. I believe that groundwork was laid for a trade. Uh, After the trade uh, deadline commenced, Chuck Fletcher said that they know what we want, and we know
1: what they want. So to me, that meant that groundwork was laid for a trade
2: with multiple teams. They, he said. So that means that there was more than one team. The other team is Nashville. And uh, there is no doubt in my mind that something was going on between the Flyers and Nashville. Nashville had scouts at uh, about six or seven Phantoms games. Um, you know, this past season, you don't scout a farm system if you're not highly interested, if in, there isn't a bigger deal somewhere down the line. So, what I'm getting at is, why would you send your assistant general manager, Brent Flair, to Arizona to scout a particular team for about a week? think that they would have sent another scout out there if it wasn't, hey, just go out there and scout. No, I think that there's something going on in terms of Brent Flares hawking to Arizona, possibly. Arizona's going to have trouble paying their bills again this year. Right. You saw last year that they had trouble paying the rent towards the end of the season. They owed like $1.6 <coughs> million. That's
0: because they fired Rick Tockett. No, I did Right. <laughs> hey, I mean, they got rid of. You no, know, but that's what happened. Darcy Kemper was on the trading block last year. Oliver Ackman-Larsen was on the trading block last year. Right. So that these are some players, I think, like O.E.L. or even Nicholas Harmelston, who is a U.S.A. Chuck Fletcher is very familiar with not getting into bidding wars. For such, he traded a fifth-round pick for Kevin Hayes you know, two years ago. He could trade a fifth- or a sixth-round pick to Arizona and say, hey, I'll trade you a fifth- or a sixth- let us get the rights to Nicholas
2: Runnelson, who's 34 years old. They need a veteran on that back end of the blue line, there to stabilize the youth. The Flyers' average age of the blue line for the majority of the season this year was 25.83 years old, which ranked in the top five in the NHL. They were a very, very young blue line. I'm not making excuses, but the elder was Justin Braun. And you know, like they need, they need that veteran presence back there. Nicholas Harmelson is it. He's a right handed defenseman. He can play middle pairing to top pairing, you know, defenseman. He can play, you know, power play. He can play penalty kill if you like. Um, he's not a bad defenseman at all. But I do believe that a target is all over Ekman Larson as well. Uh, now, he commands a salary think it's, what is it, $8.25 million or
1: something of that nature? I believe so. so. So the Flyers would have to move, you know, a JBR, a Ghost, or, you know,
2: Jake. And that's where the first-round pick comes in. What is one thing that Arizona is missing that they craved, and they craved last year as well? They craved the first-round pick. Why? Because Arizona had to forfeit their first-round pick for this year. They would have been picking 13th. What's the Flyers picking 14th? Unfortunately, since they forfeited their pick, the Flyers move up to 13. The Flyers now own the 13th pick in the NHL draft this year. So um, that becomes enticing for a team like Arizona, who's trying to get back into the first round. But this is a nice selection for them. A 13th pick is not a bad pick at all. You could get a really good player at pick 13. Right. Um, so I believe that also becomes enticing for a team like Nashville. And you're looking... What is Nashville lacking at this particular time? Scoring. KDR becomes a hot commodity now. Now,
0: now with that money. Now, now with that contract,
2: okay. you know. So. Yes, but hold on. The Flyers can retain two million dollars worth of salary to bring his to bring his cap to five million dollars. But the Flyers retain two, right? He now becomes a twenty five to thirty goal scorer for five million dollars. At least okay, let's say this. He was 25-30 goals for right 20-25 to 25 goals score for $5 is damn
1: worth
0: it in this league. Wait, Jamie, if you're going to – now, I agree with what you're saying, but getting with the JVR point, and uh, I was going to bring it up later, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, JVR, to me, in Nashville is not a fit. JVR in Seattle, to me, is a fit. But I don't see Nashville taking a flyer on JVR. I would see them taking a flyer more on Voracek than JVR. Uh, Borcheck. Yeah. Uh, see, in the flat cap world, 1.25 million, believe it or not, is
2: a lot. You're right, and that's and that's why I say JBR. Now, would would a team like Nashville want Jake over JBR? I believe so. You're, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, Jake is. I, I would definitely take Jake. You know, you're getting, you're getting before before the weird season began this year, and before last season ended. You, he was
1: gonna he was gonna put forth his fifth. I think it was his. Fifth consecutive 60-plus point season. He is
2: very consistent with putting points on the board, regardless of how he does it and how annoying fans get with him. The guy produces, and uh, th- that becomes attractive, like you said, to a team like Nashville. But in the flat cap world, 1.25 million is a lot. So if that were the case, and the Flyers were to you know take on two million dollars worth of salary, you get a Jake for 6.25, where you get. A twenty to twenty-five goal score, and JVR for five. I think it might lean towards more towards JVR in this case because they're not having trouble with playmakers. They're having trouble with finishing, putting pucks, putting pucks in the net, and that's something that JVR does. And he can do it on the power play as well. Um, he's a power play specialist. You know, net front pro- providing a net front presence. He finally came out this year. Uh, played played that role very well. Looks like the JVR of old. And uh, But the one thing, no matter how annoying JBR can get, he still produces 20 to 25 goals every season. Last year before he got hurt, I don't know if fans remember that, he was actually hurt a week to two weeks before the season ended due to Corona. Uh, due to that uh, injury that he had, I think it
0: was a broken finger, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I can't. I can't remember, but it sounds about right, though. Yeah. Um, in terms of, I think he had the same injury, similar injury to Scott Walton. I think you're right about that. And um, you know, so he finished the season with 19 goals. Um, in what was it, 69 games played? So
2: yeah, or 66 games played. I think he played. He played in three games less. But um, so. He was on pace to produce another 20 to 25 bowl season. And then this year he had a nice season. Um, He produced. But, yes, I do believe that Seattle is also a fit for JVR. And I just, I'm not about giving sweeteners. I just, uh, Seattle, just take who you want. And if you want JVR, you know, for that money or whatever, just take it. Yeah,
0: you know, um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, they have to get
2: to the cap floor. That's one thing that people forget.
0: I, I not just say, oh, they're not going to go and take this player. They're not going to take that player. There was a reason the Vegas Golden Knights took James Neal. Yeah, it just wasn't because of you know because of
2: producing. It was because James Neal had a, had, had a decent salary. I think he, I think at that time, uh, James Neal was at around five, five point two five or something like that. And Vegas took him. And It wasn't a surprise to me
0: at all that they took, the selected him. No, no, so, I I agree. I, but they, they still have to get to the cat four and have to do it somehow.
2: And they know what they're getting. Ron Francis is the smart general manager. He yeah. knows what he's getting. He knows these players better than you or I. So, like, um, <clears throat> you know, when he's seeing a JBR, you're getting constant production from him in terms of goal scoring. Yeah, I mean, becomes attractive. Jake also becomes attractive to where Ron Francis knows he's going to produce. He's going to produce. He could be a leader. A lot of people love, you know, Jake, regardless of what fans said, regardless of how annoying Jake can be at times to fans or whatever, where, you know, in terms of, like, oh, man, he's lazy. I don't know. I mean, he's been back uh, you know, and stuff. But, uh, you know, in terms of how annoying he can be, he is a leader in that locker room, and, and still players look up to him, um, especially the youth. Youth come to him and talk to him all the time. I uh, became good friends with Nolan Patrick. Uh, you know, uh, he does it all. I mean, Joel Farabee mentioned, you know, Jake Voracek, Right. you know, and how much of a leader he is and how much, like, he goes to him, talks to him and stuff, So how much Jake has influenced, you know, his game. I don't think he's just making that up. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think these players would do that. Um, and so the, the Flyers have some, you know, players I think that, uh, you know, they would definitely have to move in terms of fitting players in. When you're looking at, to recap, this groundwork leaf for trade with Arizona and Nashville, I think the Flyers are interested in OEL. I think I have a good article coming out tomorrow on Third Line Centers. I think the Flyers are also interested with Arizona, with Nick Schmaltz.
1: I think they're interested...
0: Jamie, when we look back on the off season and we look back at what was and was not done, and I and I I remember putting out a pot about it, and I was concerned, but yet I I, I had confidence in what the team you know had already done. Do you think it's safe to say that Chuck Fletcher and AV had maybe higher expectations on some of those younger players to take the next step? Not yes, yeah, necess- okay. Yeah, I think that, so. Absolutely. I mean, uh, they let Tyler Pitlick walk yep. because they thought that
2: uh, they tried to do a cap saving move in terms of uh, what Tyler Pitlick was going to command. Uh, you knew he was going to command anywhere from 2 to $3 million. Um, you know, uh, NAK is making one of those scatter over a mill, so they thought that they could set some salary there You know, and save some monies there. But I also think that they thought Travis Konechny would take the next step. Mm-hmm. I also believe that they put. A lot of stock in Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick producing right away. Yep. And people, people could just you know say stuff about Oscar, but I think they wanted uh, Nolan Patrick to produce as well. And um, so I think they put a lot of stock in that, and I did as well. I did. To, to be honest, I'm going to come clean. I didn't think that uh, you know Oscar or Patrick would uh, struggle the way they did. I knew at times they would, and I actually thought it would be the beginning. When Patrick got off to a two goal, three assist start, uh, had five points in seven games, that he was on the best uh, pace in his uh, career. He's actually on pace for a career a year. Uh, it was the best start ever in his career. And I was like, Wow, okay, cool. You know, this is this is exactly what I was expecting, and what a lot of fans weren't expecting. But um that, that's what I but that's what I was expecting. And um, And his production slowed, and it slowed, and it slowed, and Wimbley had, you know, trouble. Um...